It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Well, we're continuing to keep our eye on what's happening in Ukraine. We know that Ukrainian troops are coming to Oklahoma. Let's figure out why and what that looks like. Uh, Dan Lamoth is a national security reporter for The Washington Post covering the Pentagon and the U.S. military. Uh, Dan, thanks for joining us. And kind of give us the uh, the baseline here. What are these Ukrainian troops coming to Oklahoma for? Sure, my pleasure. Um, so uh, a, couple, a couple weeks ago, back in December, uh, the Biden administration announced that they would be providing Ukraine with a Patriot uh, missile defense system. It's basically... The, one of the very best missile defense systems that the United States and, and many of its allies have. Uh, but it requires many months of training. Uh, and the Ukrainians really could use this yesterday. Uh, like So to, to have this go on for many more months is already a concern for them. Mm. One way that they're trying to trim the, tra- uh, the training down a bit uh, is using Fort Sill in Oklahoma, where they already have a school for this set up for American soldiers. The idea being that rather than having to establish something uh, out of thin air or out of scratch, they can at least fall in on an existing facility, uh, existing simulators, uh, existing classrooms, and and at least start as quickly as possible. Yeah, I I think that's an important thing. I think everyone thought, oh, we're sending them Patriot missiles. What a great thing. And then they say, well, we'll train them up a little bit. And I I just had visions of... Where are you going to do that? <laughs> uh, and this gives them a place that not only has the space, but simulation has all of the things that they're going to need to hopefully, as you said, shorten the time in terms of them becoming proficient at that. Yeah, I mean, one of the challenges here uh, is if you're a, a new U.S. soldier being trained on Patriot, the training is just about a year long. Uh, they're trying to wow. truncate the training down to a few months. Uh, and it's not yet clear exactly how mu- how many months that that will be. They kind of left that vague in the announcement yesterday. But the understanding is that it's going to take at least a few months, and and that may even be a, a somewhat charitable uh, estimate. Uh, the the upside is that some of these Ukrainian soldiers already at least have training on other air defense systems. So how applicable that uh, knowledge is may may be practical here. Yeah, so they're not totally starting from scratch, at least a a little bit of background in some of those kinds of systems. Uh, How is this playing out from your sources, Dan, in terms of uh, Vladimir Putin, and how does he perceive this idea of Ukrainian troops coming to the United States to be trained on U.S. weapons systems and then going back to Ukraine? Um, have said for some months that they do not see this as strictly a war of, of sort of Ukraine versus Russia, but really uh, a, a war of, U- uh, of Russia versus the United States, NATO, the West, with Ukraine sort of serving as a proxy. Uh, certainly the, the, the West and the United States would disagree with that, but uh, nevertheless, the United States is throwing an awful lot at this point, uh, something on the order of about $25 billion dollars military assistance since the invasion last year. And we know we're in the uh, the middle of winter there, and many have described this as just being the uh, 
frozen <laughs> frozen in time, not a lot of movement either way, kind of the tough slog of the winter. Uh, give us a sense. Obviously, Vladimir Putin continues to go after uh, the weaponization of winter, going after the power grid. Uh, we know there's some reports of some of the mercenary groups' activity. Uh, what's the lay of the land there, and what do we expect to see as we start marching towards that one-year mark of the invasion? Yeah, and so a couple things going on at one time. One is there's these, you know, continued missile strikes, continued uh, sort of attack uh, attack aircraft, unmanned aircraft, UAVs that Russia has been launching into uh, the Ukrainian power grid mostly, which is it's less of an attack on the Ukrainian military and more of an attack on the Ukrainian people. Uh, you know, just leaving civilians without heat and electricity and other things like that. Uh, in terms of a more strictly battlefield sense, uh, the majority of the emphasis at the moment is in a handful of towns along the eastern side of Ukraine. Uh, Solodar is one. Bakhmut is another. Uh, they're kind of in the same proximity. Uh, Russia has been saying for some time now, at least uh, a couple weeks, that uh, they they possess Solodar already, have control of Solodar. Uh, that has been somewhat in dispute, but certainly they do have control of a good portion of it. Uh, Bakhmut, I mean, that, that's another area where the, the, the fighting, at least, you know, all of the sources I'm talking to describe it as absolutely bloody, intense, chaotic, uh, you know, many thousands of artillery, artillery rounds being fired uh, in both directions. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Wow. And then uh, you alluded to uh, Bakhmut really being the the key there. So how does this, uh, if it is an advance or if it is a success of the Russian forces, how does that play into that strategic area? Again, so much of the East seems to be so vital uh, to what happens once uh, we get into the spring. One of the, one of Russia's, I, I think, main concerns here is doing everything they can to keep uh, Crimea, uh, that peninsula uh, that they took from Ukraine back in 2014, uh, and doing anything they can to make sure they can connect it back to mainland uh, Russia. Uh, so they had a good portion, uh, a good bridge, if you will, land bridge, if you will, back the main Russia, that has been nibbled into significantly uh, by Ukrainian uh, offensives over the last couple months. Uh, so Bakhmut is an area that it kind of is, it plays into that. You know, there's, uh, the military would call it a line of communication. And really what it is, it's, it's, it's a way to make sure that they can continue sending their troops uh, food, water, logistics, uh, ammunition, everything they would need to continue. So those 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 crucial supply lines obviously are uh, are real key there to to how things move forward. Are, are there any indications uh, again from any of your reporting, your sources, Dan? Uh, there, there's sort of been the historics of of Europe of when you get to the negotiating table, you sort of get to keep what you have. 
uh, has been kind of historically how that plays out. Uh, of course, President Zelensky has said every inch, every every square mile. Uh, any positioning going on there? You mentioned Crimea. Uh, how is that kind of playing out? And, and is Vladimir Putin positioning to just at least make sure he can keep what he had? I, I think the, the messaging, particularly from, from Ukraine and the West at the moment, is that this is all Ukrainian territory uh, and that Ukraine has the right to fight for as much of this as they want to, uh, as, as they're able to. Uh, Russia, meanwhile, is digging in. They have no plans uh, of giving that land up, at least at the moment. Uh, I think what you're likely to see in, in the coming couple months, uh, Ukraine is gearing up for what, what pretty openly looks like another big offensive uh, and I think you can see that in part based on the weaponry that uh, the United States has been providing recently, uh, which includes uh, Bradley fighting vehicles, uh, self-propelled art- artillery, uh, you know, big heavy weapons that, that, that to date uh, they had not provided. This is sort of a first and, and sort of a deeper level of commitment uh, on the Pentagon's part. Uh, so Ukraine is going to be able to have those at their disposal at some point, and presumably make a play with them, another offensive with them. Mm. And I think the question becomes after that, how much are they able to take back? Uh, how much do these lines, uh, these front lines move? Uh, and at that point, do we have sort of a new frozen conflict, um, frozen in terms of where the line is? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and where does that leave us with negotiations, maybe at some point? Uh, in this in this new year. Yeah, and then just very quickly, Dan, last question for you. Uh, anything kind of under the radar that you're watching or keeping an eye on as we move through this back part of winter and into the spring? I think one thing that's notable, particularly within, within that Bakhmut area, uh, Russian, uh, it's, it's uh, this private uh, military uh, organization group. Uh, so it, it, it's sort of something akin to a private military contractor that is closely aligned with the Russian government, but it sort of has, a, in many cases, a higher level of training, professionalization. They're there, uh, and then along with them, they have actually taken a lot of uh, convicts uh, out of Russian prisons mm. and put them on the battlefield. So what you're seeing is these convicts are often put up as sort of cannon fodder right. uh, in a first round of fighting, and then the more professional fighters behind them kind of make sense of the battlefield based on what they see. Wow. It's a really ugly situation. Yeah. Wow. Great insight. Dan Lamoth, national security reporter for the Washington Post. Uh, thanks so much for your insight today. Thank you. All right. We'll step aside for some bottom of the hour news. A lot to watch for in Ukraine. We'll keep our eye on it. We'll step aside. We'll come back. More inside sources coming up next on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. 
now available anywhere you get your podcasts.